Amen. Thank you, choir. With your Bibles in your hand, would you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. One of the marks of a good story is that you may think that you have things figured out, but then at some point along the way, there becomes an unexpected plot twist. Something happens that you did not see on the horizon. As we've been working through the book of Ruth, we've gotten to a point that we think we know what is about to happen. And yet we see in the first few verses here of chapter 4 that something unexpected comes up. There, there's a wrench in the plan. There's something that we did not see on the horizon. And we have to keep reading. We have to figure out what is actually going to happen in this story. So we're going to begin reading in Ruth chapter 4. We'll work our way through the whole chapter and finish the book, but we'll only read the first four verses right now. So if you found your place in God's Word, would you stand, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Word? Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know For there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We're so thankful that you can work through your word, through a story that's thousands of years old, and work in our lives today by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray now that you would do exactly that. Work in our hearts. Make us more like you. Would you help us to shut out all of the distractions around us? And where we need conviction, would you bring conviction? Where we need comfort, would you bring comfort? And where we need the peace that comes only through Jesus Christ, we pray that you would bring peace. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are here today who are our guests, I'm sorry that we can't go back and recap the book of Ruth. I would encourage you to to take time soon and go back. It's only a a four-chapter book. It's a short book, but it's a powerful story. Uh, And we will see much of a lot of reminders of what has already happened in the book of Ruth as we work through chapter 4. But for those of you who were here with us last week, we saw that at the end of the chapter, uh, in chapter 3, Ruth goes to Boaz and she makes an unusual proposal. Something that is not expected. It's not done that way in those days and it's not done this way now. But Ruth went to Boaz and, and she proposed marriage to him. And she didn't propose marriage based off of their appearances or off of their desires or passions. She proposed based on character. And she said to Boaz, would you spread your wings over your servant? For you are a redeemer. And Boaz says, well, sure, I I would be glad to do that. But there there is one wrench in the plan. There's one thing that maybe you weren't aware of. There is another redeemer nearer than I. And so Boaz says, I would gladly redeem you, Ruth. But first, we must talk to this other redeemer and see if he will redeem you. But, But rest tight. Know that I will resolve all of this. And so early the next morning, Ruth returns to her mother in law, Naomi. 
And Naomi tells her there at the end of chapter 3, she says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Well, the day has dawned. It is now that same day, and we see right here at the beginning that Boaz is not wasting any time. He goes down to the gate. He goes up to the gate, as the text says. He goes up to the gate, which is where they conducted business. It's the seat of authority. It's the seat of decision-making there in the town. And so Boaz goes up to the gate, and he sits down there. And then he calls to other people. He tells them to come sit down. He tells ten men, ten elders of the city, to come and sit down there. But he also tells one man, the Redeemer, the one of whom Boaz had spoken. He just so happens to walk by. Now, we saw something similar to this in chapter 2 when we saw that uh, Ruth goes out into the fields to to glean after the harvesters. And she just so happens, the text tells us, she just by coincidence, by sheer luck, she just happened to go out into the field of Boaz. And it's as if the storyteller has a, a wink in his eye, he has a smile on his face, and he's letting us know that while by all human appearances, it seems as if this is all just coincidence, this is actually the providential hand of God. God is at work in this story. And in the same way, here in verse 1, it says that just so happens, lo and behold, here comes this man, this Redeemer, the one of whom Boaz had spoken. And he comes by, and Boaz says to him, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And the man sits down. Now, in chapter 3, we saw lots of lying down. But here in chapter 4, we see lots of sitting down. Here in just two verses, we see five times that the text says, sit down. There's a commentator that helps make sense of all of this. He said this. He says, the gate is the place of legal decision. The sitting down is the posture of legal decision. And the witnesses are the guarantee of legal decision. We're going to see witnesses come up in the story later on. But we understand as these men are gathering at the gate, there is business to take care of. There is a legal decision to decide. And it will all take place here on this very day. It also speaks to Boaz's standing. The fact that he can beckon these men to come sit down and they say, well, sure, we'll sit down. If Boaz had not been a worthy man, a man of standing, as we've already seen in the book, if he had just been a no-account man... They wouldn't have sat down. They would have said, no, Boaz, you go sit down somewhere else and leave us alone. But they listen to Boaz, and they all come and sit down. And Boaz wastes no time. He begins talking there in verse 3. He says to this unnamed redeemer, he says, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab. That language of come back, the language of returned, it should ring the bells that we heard in chapter 1. Because over and over and over in chapter 1, it talked about how they were returning from the country of Moab back to the land of promise, back to the land of Bethlehem. And so Boaz is reminding of us as he says, Naomi has come back. She has returned from Boab and she's selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So we see here that this unnamed redeemer and Boaz, they're all part of Elimelech's family. Now, we don't know exactly how they're related. We don't know if they are brothers or cousins or anything like this, but we know that they're in the same family. By way of reminder, for those of you who are are just catching up with the story, in the beginning, uh, Naomi and her husband Elimelech went to the land of Moab because there was a famine in the land. But along the way, Elimelech died, and then Naomi's two sons died. And so Naomi is left a widow, and she's left with her daughters-in-law. And now one of the daughters-in-law, Ruth, has returned with Naomi to the land of Bethlehem. And so now they're here, and they're trying to uh, bring peace, bring resolution to this whole story that has been going on in the book of Ruth. 
And we see here that Naomi has some parcel of land. This is the first mention that we have had of this. We don't know about this parcel of land. But remember that Naomi has been gone for at least a decade. And so someone has probably taken over this land and she needs help getting it back in her own name. Or it could just be worthless land that's not producing anything. But regardless, Naomi has a piece of land. She needs to sell it in order to live. She needs money to live off of. And so Boaz is stepping in and he says, you know, I, I just thought about it. Just thought I would let you know. You're, you're in the family. You're also a redeemer. And so I thought that I would just tell you about it. Verse 4, he says, I thought I would tell you to buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Man, I was just thinking about it and I thought I would tell you about it. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. That'd be great. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. Boaz says, look, just wanted to make you aware of it. You may not have known they're back. There's a piece of land that needs to be bought. You can buy it if you want to. That's great. But if not, I will buy it. So what is this man's response? He says, I will redeem it. Wait a minute. That's not what we're expecting. That's not how this story is supposed to turn out. We have been focusing in on this man, Boaz. The narrator of the story has told us to focus on this man, Boaz. We're expecting Boaz to be the redeemer who solves this problem, who fixes this situation. And here comes this unnamed man, and he says, sure, I will redeem it. And some of you are thinking in your own mind, you're thinking, look, I should have told you, Boaz, you shouldn't have done something like that. You should have just gone ahead and married Ruth, not asked this man. Don't worry about what the law says. Just go ahead and do this. But Boaz, standing in the place of the Redeemer, has come to fulfill all righteousness. He has come to fulfill the law. And that's why he's here in the gate. And he tells this Redeemer, who is nearer than he, he says, you have opportunity. If you want to buy it, buy it. And the man says, sure, why not? I'll buy it. And Boaz says, wait a minute. There's more to the story. If you buy this land, the day that you buy this field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. He says, look, man, this is a package deal. If you take the land, you also take Ruth. And not only are you taking Ruth, but you're taking her in marriage, hoping to raise up an heir for her in order that this child that would be born from your marriage would carry on the family name of Elimelech. So everything that you invest in this situation is not going in your land. It's not going in your real estate portfolio. It's going in the name of Elimelech and this heir that you're hoping to give birth to. By way of making note, when here he says that you also acquire Ruth, don't let that be an offense to you. It's not because they're viewing uh, Ruth or any women as a piece of property. It's the idea of acquiring is very close to the idea of redeeming. In Exodus chapter 15, it tells us that God acquired his people Israel. And then the very next mouth and the next verse, it says he redeemed his people. So Boaz stepping in as the redeemer and he's telling this unnamed redeemer, look, if you want this land, you also will redeem Ruth as well. And you will raise up an heir for her. Now the man has to think about it. He says, if I'm just going to buy a piece of land, that sounds like a pretty good deal. It'll increase my real estate holdings and this will be a good thing. And yeah, I may have to feed Naomi for a little while, but she's an old lady and eventually that won't be a problem. But now this unnamed redeemer, he starts doing the math. He starts counting the cost. He mentally crunches the numbers and he says, wait a minute, I've got to pay for the land. I've got to pay for Naomi. I've got to feed Ruth. That's another mouth to feed. And then I'm supposed to raise up a child. That's another mouth to feed. And then that child is supposed to 
grow up and become a man. And he's supposed to inherit everything that I'm working for. He's supposed to be the one to receive the benefit of this work that I'm doing. And this unnamed redeemer counts the cost. And he says, I can't do it. The cost is too high. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. He says, if I do this for the name of Elimelech, I'm endangering my own family name. I can't do it. The cost is too high. He says to Boaz, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Notice the contrast between these two redeemers. This unnamed redeemer is reluctant. Boaz is eager. He's willing. He's ready to do what is right. We've already counted the cost. We've seen that there's, there's a great cost involved with redeeming Ruth and redeeming this land. And all of this work that must be done, it won't be in the name of Boaz, but it'll be in the name of Elimelech, the dead man. But Boaz is willing to count the cost. He's willing to pay the price. Notice that the name of this other redeemer is never given to us. We've seen throughout the book that names are significant. Names are important. But the narrator intentionally, he worked hard to not include the name of this other redeemer. In the Hebrew, he says this vague phrase that could just be translated, Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so showed up. Mr. So-and-so counted the cost. And Mr. So-and-so said, no, the price is too high. I cannot redeem it. It's as if the narrator, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, look, you're so worried about perpetuating your family name, your name will be lost to history. 3,000 years later, we don't know who this man was. He was unwilling to pay the price. But Boaz, we know, Boaz was willing to count the cost. But you might say, well, why include this story at all? Why not just skip right to the good part? Skip to the part where Boaz fulfills the requirements of the Redeemer. I believe that this is included to show us that redemption is costly. Boaz is willing to pay the price, and it's a high price. He's willing to pay all that it takes to redeem Ruth, to redeem the land, to raise up an heir for Naomi and for her dead husband, Elimelech. Boaz is willing to pay the price. He's willing to be the Redeemer, but it is a costly redemption. Here in this first paragraph, verses 1 through 6, the transaction is worked out. The details are discussed, but now it must be finalized. It must be legally binding. And so we continue in verse 7. It tells us how they conducted transactions in those days. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. Now, many of you have bought land and purchased land. We bought a house just back in December. I kept my shoes on the whole time. Taking off sandals has nothing to do with buying land today. This seems strange to us today, but notice how the narrator is explaining it even then. When this story was recorded, when it was preserved in Scripture, this was something that was already becoming outdated even in that time. So it's not necessary that we understand why they did this, but we just know that this is how it worked. And so when this other unnamed redeemer says to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he takes off his sandal and he gives it to Boaz. It probably makes things very memorable so that if there ever becomes a dispute over the land, they say not just, oh, I remember what you said, but no, I remember you took off your sandal and you gave it to him. 
You gave him the right. And so this unnamed redeemer gives to Boaz the right of redemption. He says in verse 8, buy it for yourself. And he draws off his sandal. And then Boaz says to the elders and all the people, he says, you are witnesses this day. This day. What did Naomi say at the end of chapter 3? She said, rest, my daughter, for this man will take care of it this day. And it's still this day, and the Redeemer is busy paying the cost of redemption. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and to Malon. All that belong to Naomi's husband. All that belong to Naomi's sons. Boaz has bought. And you might be tempted to think, oh, what a great deal, Boaz. You have made a wise purchase. But to Boaz, this is just extra. That's not really the part that's important. What does he say in verse 10? He says, also, also Ruth the Moabite. For Boaz, this is what really matters. For Boaz, the fact that he's able to redeem Ruth, Ruth the Moabite. You remember the cost? We were counting the cost, and included in that cost is the fact that here's an Israelite man marrying a Moabite woman. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the book, that the land of Moab was a place that Israelites were not supposed to go. They were not supposed to marry Moabite women. But in God's providence, God has taken an outcast, a foreigner, someone who has cut off from the promises of God and is bringing her in to God's family. Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Can you imagine Boaz talking to his friends there in the city gate? Someone walks up after all of this takes place and says, Hey, Boaz, I heard you got married. Why, after all of these years, have you gotten married? He says, Well, I'm getting married because I want to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. One of the joys of getting to know so many of you is that I've gotten to know your stories of how you met, how you proposed, how you got married. I haven't heard all of your stories yet, but so far I have not heard a single one of you say, you know, the reason that I married this woman is because I wanted to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. That's not the normal reason people get married. It's not normal now. It wasn't normal then. This is a very unusual thing that Boaz is doing. Boaz doesn't say, well, you know, from the first time I saw her in the field, I just couldn't take my eyes off her. That's the way we want to imagine the story. We wish it was that way. That would make a great romance novel if that's what it says. But the text doesn't say that. I do believe there is a genuine affection between Ruth and Boaz. But Boaz, being a man of character, he says the reason he's getting married is because he wants to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. This is that idea of kinsman redeemer that we've talked about in the book. That God set up in his law in order to protect the widow, in order to protect those who didn't have someone to provide for them. This is part of God's plan. And Boaz, being a righteous man, a man of standing, says, I'm doing this so that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and all the elders said, we are witnesses. Here in these verses, we have a a threefold repetition of the word witnesses, again, emphasizing that this is a legally binding transaction. Boaz has willingly entered into the place of the Redeemer. Boaz has gone in 
And he's taken someone who was far off, someone who was cut off from the promises of God. And as Redeemer, he is bringing her in to God's family. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? Ephesians 2 tells us that, that we who were cut off from God, who were far away from Christ, far away from God, have been brought near by the blood of the covenant. Even as we look at this Redeemer, Boaz, he's pointing us to the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And Christ has paid a costly redemption for us. But this costly redemption doesn't just bring us peace in this life. It doesn't just bring the the rest that Ruth is looking for, as we've seen. It's not just that it brings peace in this life only, but it creates hope for the future. Redemption creates hope for the future. There in the middle of verse 11, after the witnesses, the people at the gate proclaim, we are witnesses, they also pronounce a blessing. A blessing that looks backwards and it also looks forwards. The elders say, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May the Lord make this woman like Rachel and Leah. Who were Rachel and Leah? They were Jacob's wives. They're the mothers of Israel. And here in the same breath as the mothers of Israel, they're mentioning a Moabite woman, a foreigner, an outcast. Those are not normally mentioned in the same sentence, but here the elders of the city mention them together and they pray a blessing upon Boaz and say, May the Lord make this woman like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. You see, in God's economy, in God's divine plan from the very beginning, it's been his plan to bring in those who are far off, those who are outcast, those who are downtrodden, those who are outside of the promises of God, because we all are outsiders apart from Christ. But the blessing continues. It's not just about Ruth. They also mention Boaz himself. They say at the end of verse 11, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May you act worthily. They've already said, Boaz, you are a worthy man, a man of standing. But as a worthy man, we hope that you will act worthily in the land and that you will be renowned in Bethlehem. He's already a man of standing. He's already renowned in one sense. But they're saying that through this future child that we trust the Lord will bring you, through this offspring, may you be renowned in Bethlehem. But the blessing's not over. It's not just about Boaz. It's not just about Ruth. But it's about this future offspring. Verse 12, they say, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, here's another unexpected development. This is not the Mother's Day blessing that you're expecting to hear because they mention Tamar. And if you are not familiar with the story of Tamar, if you haven't read it in a while, later today when your children are napping, go read Genesis chapter 38. This is not the Mother's Day story that you're looking for. But if I could paint the story in broad strokes, Judah becomes a redeemer-like figure to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And even in the most unusual of circumstances, and not that these circumstances are by God's design, this is not the way God normally uh, instructs marriages to take place and for children to be born. In this unusual relationship, they bring forth a child named Perez. And through this mess of a situation, God uses this redeemer, Judah, 
and his wife, Tamar, to bring forth a child who is in the family line of our Savior. God is working in the middle of that mess. And so you may be here today and you're thinking, look, I know it's Mother's Day, but you you just see us on the outside. Things are a wreck at our house. Things are messy. Things are not what you would want them to be. But I can promise you, if God's working in the mess of Tamar's story, and if God is working in the mess of Ruth the Moabite story, I can assure you that God is working in your story as well. God is big enough for your mess, just as he was big enough to care for Ruth and for Tamar. Yes, this redemption comes at a price. It is a costly redemption, but this redemption creates a hope for the future. The elders have pronounced this blessing on Ruth and Boaz. And now it's time for scene two. It's time for the story to continue. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. The whole book has been building to this one sentence. And in one sentence, in five crisp verbs, in a staccato-like fashion, it moves through quickly. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Five verbs in one short sentence telling us what's happening. Boaz and Ruth become husband and wife. They get married, and then they go into one another. They have a sexual intercourse. They give birth to a child, but it's because the Lord gives conception. Notice the order that marriage comes first and then children are born. This is not a Western idea. This is God's design for marriage. But also notice that it is ultimately God who gives conception. It's God who produces this child within Boaz and Ruth. Remember, Boaz is presumably an older man, not expected to sire children. And Ruth has been married before. She's been married for at least a decade, and she never gave birth to a child up until that point. And so the assumption would be that she may have difficulty giving birth as well. And yet the Lord gives conception. All throughout this book, God has been working in the background. The characters in the story tell us about what God is doing, but God has been in the background. But twice in this book, the narrator explicitly tells us something that God does. At the beginning of the book in chapter 1, verse 6, he says that God visited his people, that he ended the famine in Bethlehem, and that he gave them food. And now at the end of the book, he also acts. God gives conception. In the beginning, he is working to meet the needs of his people. And in the end, he is still working to meet the needs of his people. Even as he's working in the life of one family, he's meeting the need of his nation, Israel. Verse 14 says, Then the women said to Naomi. The women gather. The, it's almost as if they're a chorus in a Greek play, and they just show up off to the side, and they start speaking. In chapter 1, they showed up, and they're speaking as Naomi and Ruth return from Moab. And when Naomi and Ruth returned, the women of the town gathered, and they said, Is that Naomi? It looks like Naomi, but is that really Naomi? It's been at least 10 years. And the effects of a famine have been great. On Naomi, The loss of her husband, the loss of her sons, they have made an impact on her countenance. She looks different than she did when she left. But now the women of the city show up again, and this time they say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. 
Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer. All throughout this book, Naomi has been feeling empty. She's been feeling forgotten by God, perhaps even punished by God. But now as the story comes to a climax and to a resolution, we're told that no, God has not forgotten her. In fact, God has provided her with a Redeemer. More than that, verse 15, this child that will be born, he will be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now, I've made clear over and over and over that this is not the type of love story that we're expecting. This is not a Hallmark movie. This is not a Karen Kingsbury novel. This is not the type of love story that we might expect. But here in the one time that the narrator uses the word love, it's not referring to what we would expect. We would expect it to say, and Boaz loved Ruth, and Ruth loved Boaz, and they got married and lived happily ever after. But that's not what it says. It says that this daughter-in-law loves you. This daughter-in-law who is worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi has lost her two sons in order to learn that this daughter-in-law is worth more to her than seven sons. God has worked through Ruth. God has provided for Naomi through Ruth in an extraordinary type of way. This is not the type of love that we're expecting. The only way that this type of love is even possible is because of the love of God. We've seen that throughout the book, the loving kindness of God. It's on full display in this book. The only reason that Ruth can love Naomi in this way is because she first has been loved by God. The only reason that Boaz can provide for and love for and care for Naomi is because first, Boaz has been loved by God. We see the the loving kindness, the kessed love of God, the grace and mercy of God on full display in this book. But he's working through people. He's using the hands and feet of real people to do his work. But the story keeps getting better. It says in verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Now, at first you might be tempted to think, well, but Ruth gave birth to this child. Why is Naomi acting as if she is the mother? But yet, remember, this is why Ruth wants to have a child, is to provide for Naomi. Ruth doesn't stop being the mother. She doesn't give up her motherhood. But this is a full recognition that as Naomi gets even older, this nourisher of her old age will be this child. It says Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. In chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, it tells us that uh, at the end of verse 5, at the the opening of the book, it said that both Malon and Kilion died, those are her sons, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. But it literally says so that she was left without her two lads. Even though they were grown men, it used the word for young boys. She was left without her two lads. And now here in the conclusion of the book, it says that Naomi took the lad and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. This is the glory of this story in the book of Ruth. In the beginning, Naomi is understandably upset. She says to the women of the city, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. She says, I am bitter because I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. But the story of the book of Ruth is God working and filling 
Naomi, through Ruth, through Boaz. Yes, Naomi goes through a painful repentance. She has to pay the cost for wandering away from God, from leaving the land of promise and going to the land of Moab. She wanders away from the house of bread, but God brings her back. And in this painful process, God is busy restoring her, filling her. In chapter 1, Naomi pledges, Ruth pledges her love and affection for Naomi. She pledges her devotion to Naomi. And in chapter 2, Ruth actually acts on this. She goes out into the field and she gleans and she works. And at the end of that day, the very first day, she comes and she takes an overflowing abundant amount of grain and even the leftovers from the feast with Boaz and his workers and she presents it to Naomi. And then in chapter 3, Ruth continues her devotion for Naomi and she goes in a very unusual way and she proposes marriage to Boaz. And Boaz says, yes, I will redeem you. And when he sends her back to to Naomi, he says, you can't go back to Naomi empty. And so here, here's an abundance of seed. Take this seed. And at the end of the chapter, the end of chapter three, Ruth comes to Naomi and out of her apron, she brings forth this seed and presents it to Naomi so that Naomi will not be empty. But here in chapter four, not out of her apron, but out of her womb, Ruth brings forth a seed, a promised child, and she lays this child, the lad, in the lap of Naomi. This child is the answer to Naomi's problems. This child is the filling of Naomi's emptiness. But in God working in this one family, he's actually answering the prayers of the nation and the prayers of the world. Because as we see, this child is no ordinary child. The women of the neighborhood come back and give him a name. Verse 17, they say a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see, even as God was working and filling, as he was providing a costly redemption, this redemption provided hope for the future. Because it wasn't just about this baby born to Ruth and Boaz. It's the baby that will come from the baby. Who will come from the baby. Who will one day come from the baby. You see one day there will be another child born in Bethlehem. He will be King David. A good king. As we began the book we saw that this takes place in the days of the judges. When the judges ruled. And we looked at the book of Judges. And we saw that the refrain throughout that book of Judges. Is that in those days there was no king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But by the end of the book, we're pointing forward to this king, the future king, King David. But this same genealogy shows up again in the book of Matthew. And it tells us that this king, David, is pointing us to the one future king, the true king who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ. You may be here today and you may feel like Naomi. You may feel empty on the inside. You may be looking for the answers to all of your problems somewhere else in the world. But those answers can only come through the filling that comes with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus himself said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, life more fully. So even as we look at the short book of Ruth and we see how God is working, he is working to fill the emptiness, working to fill the void in the life of one family, the family of Naomi. He's actually working to fill the void in your life. Because out of the family of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz comes the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you are apart from God, you're like Ruth when she's in Moab and you're cut off from the promises of God. You have not yet yielded to Christ in salvation. I would plead with you today 
to turn to Christ. Trust Christ that he has provided a costly redemption. That you in and of yourself cannot save yourself, but Christ has made redemption possible for you. All you have to do is trust Christ. But for those of us who are here today and we have trusted Christ and we're walking with Christ, is your life marked with the generosity of Boaz and Ruth? Is your life in keeping with the grace that you have received? Because of this wonderful, marvelous, costly redemption that you have received, are you marked by that? Do you look different to the world? Are you living in keeping with the generosity of God that he has shown to you through Christ? As we come to the conclusion of the book of Ruth, that is the message of this. We call this series the gospel according to Ruth because even through this, we see God working, God providing salvation, and it is available to every person here. And if you're apart from Christ, I pray that you would trust Christ today. I will be at the front. I would be glad to talk with you about that now or after the service. Repent and turn to Christ. But for those of us who are walking in Christ, is your life characterized by the life of Christ? And do you have this hope for the future? Not hope for just this life only, but the hope that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 at the beginning of the service. The hope that comes through eternity in Christ. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer.